Welcome to the Propane Fitness Podcast. We are here with Juji Mufu, the anabolic acrobat from acrobolics.com and trickstutorials.com if you are old school and you've been following him for some time. So um, we're really excited to have Juji on the call. You most likely will have seen his antics on Instagram as well. You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Hello, Juji. Hi, how's it going? Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself for those who have managed to escape your social media presence? Oh, sure. Um, I'm a guy that started with martial arts uh, in his early teens, 13 or 14, and then I uh, went transitioned into something called tricking, which is acrobatic martial arts, uh, blend of flips, kicks, and twists, sort of an underground online movement. Um, it's still relatively unknown today. And, uh, you know, I got into weightlifting in my late teens and bodybuilding in my mid-20s. I'm about 31 years old now. And, uh, you know, the entire time I've kept up with all this stuff. But I think the thing that really uh, exploded my popularity uh, in recent years is uh, extreme flexibility displays I posted on social media, weighted barbell uh, side splits and other things like that. And some of my crazy antics has just kind of, you know, increased my the awareness of people of my existence, I suppose. But, you know, I'm just a guy that kind of does a, a nice mix of things that a lot of people don't have. And I've, well, I've seen your, your development over the years back when um, you were doing an old website of uh, tricks tutorials that must have been in sort of 2004, 2003, and, and how you've kind of, you, you've got a lot bigger over that time and maintained your flexibility. How have you found balancing strength and size with maintaining flexibility? Oh, that's easy. Uh, balancing strength and size with uh, maintaining flexibility, it actually helps. They actually help each other. Um, the hard part is uh, keeping the tricks when you increase your size because, I mean, the strength, I mean, strength is a necessary component of uh, most displays of flexibility, especially the ones that I'm, I'm doing. And so, you know, when you're training for size, you also a lot of times get a lot of strength and extra you know, muscle, muscle tone improvement. I mean, just all these things help with the flexibility. I mean, the hard part is that I weigh about 80 pounds more than I did when I started tricking right. yeah, <laughs> and that's, uh... to jump, to jump in the air with all of that mass is really, really hard. So the hard thing is doing the, the aerial tricks. The easy thing is doing the flexibility. That's easy. So you used to be about, was it about 80 kilos and you, are you five, are you five eleven? Oh man, no, no, not kilograms. Ah, uh, okay. Maybe you could do the conversion. I'm so sorry, guys. Okay, I mean, uh, usually when I po when I post videos, I always put both, but in my head, I can't, and I don't have a calculator in so, hand. So when I started, I was 150 pounds. Now I'm 235 pounds. Right, so 68 kilos. And now you're what? Sorry, 235. 35. Right. So 100, 107. Kilos. So that. Yeah. Okay. So if you're learning the moves at that weight, and then you blow up to that weight over the course of you know 13 or 14 years. Yeah, jumping around with that much more weight is a lot harder than jumping around at 68 kilos. <laughs> Do you find that there's a, is there like a tipping point at which that happens? Because I imagine obviously you're pretty lean in, in your videos and photos. So there's there's not a lot of, of mass that you're gaining that isn't serving a purpose. Is there a point at which, you know, it's easier? You gain a bit of muscle and it's, it's you're increasing jump height and things like that. Or is it just harder the heavier you are? 
No, there, there's a, there's a, there's a point definitely uh, where you increase your mass a little bit and you do see an improvement. I've noticed the trend in a lot of tricksters who, who start off looking like skeletons and then they actually do do a little bit of weight training and strength training and they might put on about 10 or 15 pounds and everything looks better. Everything's smoother and cleaner and snappier and they're just more resilient and they're so much better, but it's such a small tipping point. I mean, it, you can't go very high. It's a very small amount. So for me, I mean, when I started, I was like 150 pounds. I found my best weight was between 180 and 190 pounds. Yeah, and I think um, after that, it got a, worse and worse. Right, so there's kind of a sweet spot around there, and I guess that's why it's so unusual and and why you've got the the following that you have. I don't know if you've seen uh, what's his name, Clancy? No, uh, Clarence Kennedy. Oh yeah, who um, is another one of these guys who does Olympic lifting at quite a high level and still has managed to hold on to his tricks. And uh, it's certainly it's visually very unusual to see. Yeah, no, I know, I know Clarence. I've known him for a long time. Uh, we need to get together finally and meet. He lives in Ireland. I live in the U.S. So <laughs> it's just one of those things. But yeah, Clarence is a uh, Clarence is a uh, he's scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> agreed. So just to give people an idea of of like the standards when we're talking about balancing strength and flexibility, I guess flexibility we're talking. Full chair splits. Full split. Tra- chair splits. Okay, right. With the, and then loaded as well. Like that's with that's with load. The chair splits. I mean, I do it with load. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Okay. I can. If I mean, do them, but I mean, if load. you look at, I mean, generally, okay. I mean, in flexibility, in the flexibility world, basic benchmarks are things like splits. You know, front splits and side splits. Um, it's sort of like uh, in weightlifting. There's certain benchmarks for you know. For deadlifts, I think it's like, uh, what's a good benchmark? Uh, I mean, every time you add on an extra 45 kilos or so, that's like the next level, you know? Or is it 25 kilos? So we I like to know, use so. kind of um, increments of 0.5 body weight. So like I, I yeah. guess like a twice body weight deadlift would be kind of the, the first initiation into being a lifter and then moving up in increments of 0.5. So you've got, you've got comfortable splits, I imagine. And, and beyond that, what are your what are your current lifts at that level of flexibility? Uh, my deadlift's around six thirty pounds. Crap, I need a calculator, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. We, we can do it. Uh, six thirty, so two eight five kilos. Yeah, so on my deadlift, I pulled that about a week ago or so. Nice. Uh, my my back squat is around. You know, I don't do too much back squat, but the most I've ever really tried. It, it's really bad for my patellar tendons. It's around five fifty. It's really low. Uh, In fairness, I've seen good. <laughs> two fifty kilos, and I've, I've, I'm sure I've seen you do like a one eighty back squat in a cross-legged position, like the, well, let's call it the guru squat or something. Indian style squat. Indian yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, my front squat is out of proportion with my back squat. I can front squat around four fifty. Right, two hundred plus. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, pretty good. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, but when my you, back my back squat's a weakness of mine. It always has been, so it's okay. You mentioned like at the start of the podcast, you find it easy to maintain strength and flexibility. Like that's that's not the hard part. So, what is your like training philosophy? Like, how do you go about actually maintaining those things in a unit of time, like a week or a month? How do you approach it? Well. The, the, the cool thing about flexibility is, especially when we're talking about benchmarks like splits and, uh, you know, just mobility and, you know, general sense of shoulders and everything just for a healthy human being, 
it's it's really cool because it's one of the biomotor characteristics that's the easiest to maintain and once you build it it lasts the longest so um i don't know if you guys everyone has had experience where they take off some time from strength training for an extended period of time and they come back and they're just as strong or really really close to it and they're like holy crap you know i'm still pretty good at this well flexibility is even more like that you could take off years and come back to it they'd be like oh wow i'm pretty close to a split still apparently okay cool you know <laughs> Yeah. it's it's amazing it's uh, the, but the thing is you have to build it to begin with and if you don't actually build it correctly and actually like prioritize it for a small period of time you won't ever really get them so that's the thing is you know when i was younger i was i made a goal you know when i was 15 years old to, i want these you know <laughs> i was i was really fucking motivated dude i mean i was stretching two hours every night but when i got them man they're mine they're good for they're good <laughs> So that's something I, I love about your approach, and it's kind of I, um, you've got an article on, on sort of, acrobolics periodization and taking a, a full season of, of just periodizing your life, I guess, and taking a, a dedicated focus on each goal so that you can pursue these kind of opposing goals at the same time and maintain what you've gained in one season while pulling it back and uh, and then pushing forward with the tricking while you let the lifting take a back seat or flexibility and vice versa. Can you tell us a little bit about how you would structure a year? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, my year is a little bit different the past couple of years because since things picked up for me on social media and all the opportunities and people are always asking me to do performances and collaborate, all these different things, it can really throw your schedule off. And that's really exciting because it's like, no, why would why would I not want to work out with this uh, very famous YouTube guy, you know? So <laughs> it's kind of hard to like, hey, I've scheduled this time off for no season. I can't go work out with C.T. Fletcher, you know? It's, you don't do things like that. You're just like, fuck yeah, man. I'm going to go like destroy my arms for a week or something, you know? But it's things like that has it's been difficult for me. But if, if you're not in that weird situation where your life is a little bit more predictable and there's not as, uh, you know, before you get to that point, you're kind of building this this machine that's going to, you know, you're building yourself up to the point where you can actually, that's the goal is to be able to have the greatest life you can through what you're doing with it. I mean, in terms of building this thing, fitness through fitness. And anyway, I'm just rambling here. But look, um, in order to structure like a year for like a no season, I, I would look at what your restraints are. So let's say, for example, okay, bulking, you know, if, if people want to like build some extra muscle mass, you got to look at where your biology is in different seasons. Typically, people by default eat more in wintertime. They like to wear lots of heavy clothing. No one's like, you know, showing their abs and tan and stuff in the wintertime typically. It's just, it's like, no, let's just fucking get like really strong and lift heavy weights. Okay. In the summertime, it's the opposite. You know, you lean up a little bit, you eat a little bit better, you're walking around with less clothes on, everyone's outside playing and having fun. Well, that's a good time to go outside and trick. And do acrobatic movements and be light on your feet. So there you go. Right there, you got two things, two criteria that you can build your year around. Okay, I'm going to get cut, uh, lean up a little bit in the summertime and focus on explosive tricking, explosive activity, more plyometric type training. And in the wintertime, I'm going to eat more, focus on building my strength foundation and uh, my lifts and perhaps add in some bodybuilding accessory work if you're into building muscle. So um you can look at other restraints. Everyone's different. Everyone has different schedules. Everyone, you know, has different things going on in their lives. But you pull all that stuff together and you just sort of build the first model of what your year would look like. Right. So you're basically riding the wave with 
the demands of the year and the weather and so on and building your your year around that and sort of planning it out quite quite specifically mm -hmm. so you mentioned the no season as well can you talk a bit about that as well okay absolutely i love this um yeah okay so uh, I did an ex well, it was sort of a weird experiment I did a couple of years ago, and what it was was, you know, I've come to realize that people can say, "Hey, training is the most important thing," and you always always got to put in all this time to train every day. But here's the thing: if your life is is in chaos and shambles, and there's so many things distracting you every day, and you're just completely inefficient, and you got all these like weird problems and things you've just kind of put aside for so long, a lot of people just they are these anxious balls of human energy that are just living this terrible disordered life and they take it out by going and training and working out and a lot of people work out their anger and their frustrations well here's the thing why don't you just fucking fix your life so that you know it's it's more convenient to train so it's easier it's not like you're going to lose that motivation to train because you don't you're not angry at how disorganized you are anymore you're going to feel a little bit more ease and it's just going to be more natural so here's the thing Everything in your life, if you improve your training support system, which is your life, you know, get your finances in order, get your relationships in order, uh, clean up your kitchen, clean up your house, you know, take care of this, get back with these people, get an education, do all these things, get a new job, move to a different place, like fix your life. But the thing is, you can't focus on those things if if you're spending so many hours a day destroying your body in these heavy lifts that the point where you have brain fog, the rest of the time you're awake, you're just like, Oh, you're a walking zombie because you train so hard because you're training so hard because you're trying to escape your life. So the whole purpose of the no season was to fix my life. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm just going to stop training for a little bit and I'm just going to fix my life, which is what I did during that time. I got my new business started acrobolics. My new website started acrobolics. I got, I got all that done. I started to get my social media working. I got all these things that sort of laid the foundation to where I'm at now. If I didn't take that first no season back at the end of uh, beginning of 2014, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I know I wouldn't have. The cool thing was, Yusef, that when I started training again, I was almost as strong as I was before I started. I mean, before I stopped. I took two months off. All I did was like do some jump rope and walk around and go to the gym and putz around every now and again. And spent the rest of the time working on fixing my shit, get my shit together. So <laughs> I got back and I was, just, I was almost just as strong. I was just like, Holy crap. So I took two months off and everything's okay. <laughs> See, <laughs> like, it, it's such a relief when that happens. And I, I, I actually, after reading your article, I took a no season myself. I was starting to get kind of niggly injuries and thought, you know what, I'm just going to focus on doing some yoga, doing some stretching, but just basically, um, you know, just doing the very minimum for training. And I think there's a lot that you've raised there, but there's a cer certainly a big factor of if someone's training for escapism and their life is falling apart, then when you're co constantly working, you know, eating into your recovery capacity and you're walking around with, with brain fog, then maybe it is time to take some time off and actually get your support structure in place. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really, really valuable lesson. How long is the time you <laughs> took off? I mean, we could. How long? How long did I take off? Yeah, almost two months. Okay, so it's not. I, you know, when people hear, or a lot of people who strength train regularly hear the idea of taking complete time away from it, they're like, they're like, oh no, I'm not. I don't want to do. I'll that. lose all my gains. Like, um, yeah. And two months is probably a lot longer than than most people who are who strength train have ever taken off training. But I think there's what there's, I. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, what I recommend is there's a difference between. Uh, a healthy exercise and activity and training. So when I'm talking about taking time off uh, for the no season, I'm saying like no training, 
but I'm saying you can work out like you can go in and move weights around and have some fun. Just don't kill yourself back off because you know, the whole purpose of it is so you have energy to do other things. Sometimes you have to move your body to release energy so that you feel good. That's why people wake up in the morning and they do push-ups and squats and take cold showers. They're releasing energy so that their body is in a better state to do things. But what you don't want to do is stick to a training schedule that you don't want to stick to. That's, you know, taking your energy away. You want to release energy. So you want to do a little bit of activity, but just have fun with do what you want and then just back off, you know, rather than kind of ramming your head against the wall with, with a program that's, uh, that's exactly overreaching and trying to do all the other stuff and juggling your, your life alongside it. Yeah. And I, exactly. I think, I think really that's a, such a valuable point to, um, you know, in both planning the whole year and making sure that any kind of major, um, life demands, family, career, um, spiritual demands, whatever it is, are kind of planned out along with your training cycle. And I think to treat your training as if you're operating in a vacuum and that your body is just a separate, disconnected thing doesn't always work out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude, you've, I can tell you've definitely thought about this. Um, you're, uh, the way you're wording this is brilliant. It's good. Uh, I'm loving talking to you about this. This is just an interest of mine. I'm glad you wanted to talk about the no season thing. You know, just as a conspiracy theory type thing, you guys want to hear something real quick? Let's do it. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, I'll get uh, the tinfoil think about this. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but I mean, there's guys in the fitness industry who are like, there's no such thing as overtraining. There's no such thing as overtraining. You know, you hear that stuff. All right. They're like, no, because they're trying to tell people like, hey, you got to work out this shit every day and you got to do is, you know, all these reps and there's no such thing as overtraining and they're just trying to, you know what? that's doing and and they don't I don't even know if they're smart enough to know what they're doing but what they're doing is these these kids will go in and they'll start being like yeah I'm going to I'm going to train like this every day and they just destroy themselves and what happens is they end up in that everyday state of having this brain fog of being tired of not being able to take care of their life and things start to kind of fall apart as they become addicted to this sort of weird overtraining uh, training thing this dick waving contest <laughs> oh I trained 3 hours today arms or some shit and then they're so tired that they can't do anything but sit there and watch these YouTube videos of these guys. So it's like a self-perpetuating cycle. These guys are getting views on their videos from people that they're kind of ruining their lives in a way because now all they have the energy to do instead of building their lives back up is just to sit there and watch videos. <laughs> Daily maxing and squat till you puke and no, no pain, yeah. no gain, and all this kind of, uh, sort of beast mode <clears throat> mentality. Um, yeah. It's interesting when you look at any professional sport or like any any time where strength training is used as a means to an end rather than the means in itself there's always time away like there's always an off season in any professional athlete's life but in just the strength training world it's like at most a deload week and nothing else yes you're kind of and, seen as a pussy if you if you yeah. take time off yeah yeah it's really weird isn't it i mean look at professional athletes like football players and stuff they don't want to train they want to like <laughs> They want to go to a different, they want to go to an island and hang out with their family for a bit. And then, you know, and a lot of them, they'll spend a lot of their, uh, their off season doing that and stuff. And then they'll come back and the, you know, it's like they get ready when they want to get ready. They, they get, they get the job done when it's time to get the job done. And a lot of people in fitness don't understand that. It's like, look, if you want to be shredded like this and look like a magazine cover, then you got to have a reason to do it. It's like, are you entering a competition? Are you going to a photo shoot or you, you know, just to look like that all year long is a retarded goal because you feel like crap when you look like that. It's such a transient state. And what are you going to do with it when you have it? You can't just walk around like that all day long. It's not going to do you any good. You know, get in, get the job done at the right time, then get back out and, and just, 
you know, relax, you know? <laughs> it's an interesting comparison between a football player and someone who just lifts weights because the football player knows exactly why they're training. And it's not like yeah. their approach is, is damaging their performance, like they're still improving, but when it's time to rest, they really take advantage of resting and then get back to it when they need to versus someone who's training for the sake of it. And it's almost like an addiction to training, an addiction to the to what training gives them as something to live for, I suppose. So it's really interesting that like you very, very rarely hear of anybody talk about deliberately planning time in your year to not lift. I think the biggest relief as well is is when you take an off season and even if you're just kind of dabbling, that you don't lose your gains, you know, that it takes so long to, to build it up and it equally takes a long time to, to detrain. And I think the common fear is that you'll just waste away instantly or that you'll de-skill. And um, to know that you can actually focus on other stuff and, and still keep things afloat is uh, it's pretty liberating and breaks some of that obsessive neurosis that lifters often get. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it is an art though. I have to say that uh, deloading and taking time off, there's a lot of nuances to it that you have to recognize and you only get those nuances if you, if you continually try the process of taking time off and cycling time off and time on, you know, uh, of working and, and backing off. And well, one of the things I always tell people is, you're going to feel like crap the first few days back, and then all of a sudden you're going to realize you're just fine. And that's usually what happens when I take a, when I take when I tell people when I'm doing programming and stuff. I'm like, okay, look, you're like three weeks here. You're increasing the volume here, intensity here. You're switching these exercises here, and then this week you're not going to do anything. Now the first week back you're going to feel like crap and you're going to be mad at me and you're going to tell me that you're going to start blaming me for all your gains for, for taking these, uh, this five to eight day period off and you're going to sit there and, and you're going to cry and you're going to be upset. But then all of a sudden you're going to have the best workout you've had all year. You have to have, you have to go through a few crappy workouts when you get back. And you know, I warn people about that before they take time off because a lot of them will take time off. They'll come back and they'll have those few crappy sessions and then they'll think, Oh shit, I should have taken time off at all. That was a bad mistake. I'll never do that again. Well, and then they don't, then, and then they have a really freaking good workout and they start seeing good results again and they don't put two and two together. Instead, they just think, Oh, I started training again. That's why I got better. No, it's because it took time off. <laughs> yeah, I see. They can't can't get the causation from it, and I, you know, there's some nice kind of underlying physiology of that as well, where you know, taking I think 12 days off can reset some of the anabolic signaling mechanisms mm -hmm. um, and restore your sensitivity to training again, which is uh, pretty good. So, Juju, you said that you you kind of you plan your year and also your life around doing what you love, and I know that you used to work in an office job. I think up until quite recently. Can you tell us a bit about your, your choice of job and um, and your experience with it? Uh, my, my previous job or my job now? Your, your previous <laughs> job, yeah. So um, you quit, was it was it a couple of months ago? I don't know. I might, I might have got the timeline mm -hmm. wrong yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So what happened was, you know, just like anyone else who's in high school, I went to, you know, I went to college. After, a lot of people just go to college. I just went to college and... Um, I mean, you know, 18 years old, U.S., uh, going to college, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. All I knew is I wanted to do something that related to fitness and diet and stuff because that's my passion. That's what I was doing anyway. So I was just like, ah, you know, um, the closest thing to anything related to that is biology. So I'm just going to get a biology degree right now. That's the plan, and I'll fine-tune it as I get closer to it. Well, I got closer to graduating, you know, 22, 23 years old. 
And I had already taken all these hard science courses. I was just like, well, I just got a traditional bio biochemistry type degree. You know, it's just like it doesn't really have anything to do with fitness. I got this far. I just, you know, I just got that degree. Well, I just got a job working uh, with lab stuff. It was the lab automation equipment. So it's, it's kind of like uh, if you're in the fitness, you're working for the companies that make the equipment. So instead of doing the lab work you know, being the trainers and stuff, you were the guy that was actually making the equipment. So that's sort of what I was in the biology field. I was the, I was one of the equipment manufacturer type guys. And I just worked that job for about six, six years, uh, six or seven years almost. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, all the while, you know, I'm always doing my fitness thing, uh, working out, tricking, you know, building websites and, you know, posting videos and stuff. You know, that was my, uh, you know, I liked the job I had because, it afforded me enough time to continue working on all that other stuff. If I had a job that I wasn't happy with that was stealing all my time, I would have quit. I've always been that guy. That's always been who I am. Um, my first job was a gym job. I worked at the juice bar at my old gym. We had it like a juice bar. Um, I was like 15 years old, 16 years old. I love that job, man. I just sat there. I had free gym membership. I got free protein shakes. I got to do my homework all day long. And, you know, when I was before or after I was done with my work shift, I got to work out. And I got a key to the gym like a few years later so I can go in there on Sundays because that gym used to close in on Sundays and work out by myself in the whole gym. That was awesome, dude. I mean, a job isn't just about money. It's about the perks, too. It's about, you know, the – the, the people you work with, the, what they actually, it's, it was awesome. And so every job I've gotten after that, that was, that wasn't me. I would just quit and I just find an easy job or I'd find a job that just felt right. And the, the lab job I had, I liked it because, um, it just afforded me a lot of free time. It was pretty relaxed and laid back and I take two or three hour lunch breaks to train and come back. I mean, how many people can fucking do that? Yeah, you know? exactly. I think that's you know, it's, it's it's an unusual idea to to strategically choose your job so that you can spend more time doing what you love rather than yeah. you know being in something that completely drains you physically. And Johnny and myself have both both worked in um, in the financial sector, and uh, it does absolutely wreck you. And you, you get out of work, and the last thing you want to do is train because you've been hunched over a desk, and the hours are always way longer than you're contracted for. You know, we saw the way it was going and thought this is actually. You know, Juju Mufi's making some sense here. So did you did you pick Here's the... A, I hate to cut you off real quick. But no, just, go ahead. Uh, just, just a quick little thing here. It's kind of funny. Um, that's always been me. I always chose the easy jobs so that I had time to train. And uh, the thing was that it was sort of... I sort of realized after doing this for years that I had friends and family who made two to three times as much money as I did in their jobs. And here was the clue I got that I was on the right path. All of them envied me. They all wanted my job. I made a third of what they made, but they wanted my job because they just saw how 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 good a mood I was, how stress how stress free I was. How, I was just like, how do you? God, I want your job, man. It's like, yeah, you make three times as much money as I do. You want my job? It's like, yeah. It's like, well, there. I guess I'm doing the right thing then. Probably because I guess you're you're reflecting their insanity by the fact that they're you know um, they're they're doing supposedly. The, they're in the what was it called the the rat wheel earning much more money mm -hmm. and supposedly doing what they what they've been told they should do and actually they're miserable and they're seeing uh they're seeing you earning a third of that and actually enjoying their life which is the whole purpose of working a job to get a salary so that you can enjoy your life <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we we both i think the reason that yusuf's asking this question is i think probably you sent me an yusuf sent me an article that you wrote a few years ago that detailed this that you you had a you had a job that specifically allowed you time to work on 
your own business and spend time doing the stuff that you love doing. And we both since left jobs that kind of consumed our lives and now do stuff that we want to do. Um, so congratulations. That's thanks. Thanks. Cheers. That's quite, it's quite close to our heart. So, um, I'm interested to know, like, did you, was this your plan the whole time? Like, were you always going to go and do your own thing full time or was it, has it just organically grown to be that way? It was kind of 50, 50. So it was sometimes I'd be like, look, I'm, I'm comfortable working this job because I can still do the things I want to do with fitness. But at the same time, um, it's sort of like, this isn't really what I want to do. And if I ever want to make a living doing the thing that I would be doing anyway, because honestly, you know, if you left me to my own devices, I wouldn't be doing that lab work type shit. I was doing the, that, uh, that's just, you know, it was easy, but it, you know, if, if I had free time, that's not what I'm doing in my free time. Now, fitness and stuff, making videos and, and talking to you guys, that's stuff I want to do in my free time. I mean, I'm going to do that whether I get paid or not. So I wanted to, you know, I wanted to eventually get to a point where it's like, you know, if it wasn't just like, hey, I'm okay, I'm being comfortable, it'd be like, I want to work, do, I want to make money doing something I'd be doing anyway. You know, am I going to be doing this anyway? So the job gave me enough freedom to build that on the side and then eventually leave that other job so that I could. And that's what happened uh, a couple months ago is um, it picked up, you know, I built this on the side for years, uh, my websites, my social media presence, my, my body, my philosophies and stuff. And I had all the time to do that because the job was easy. And then I was, I started making money doing this and it became so involving that the only choice I had was to leave my old job. I was like, well, you know, it just sort of superseded it. That's fantastic. So you're you're living the dream right now and uh, doing what you love. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, Jujimufu, we have a couple of reader questions. I think uh, our, our readers were pretty excited that you were coming on the podcast. First one <laughs> is from, uh, so we've got, there's a couple of people that are following your deadlift routine, which mm-hmm. is primarily avoiding grinding out reps and uh combines the the idea of accumulating some volume while still training explosiveness can you describe the routine briefly and also your general training approach for the compound lifts sure okay so this deadlifting routine was something i started doing uh instinctively uh you know 2011 or so and i just all of a sudden i just had realized that i was doing i was training my deadlift in a way that was really kind of different i was just like this works and I guess maybe I can, you know, share this online. So I eventually put an article out on it. It's my deadlifting routine. It's just the thing I was doing. And what it is, is I train a deadlift in a very certain way. It's first of all, I use a double overhand grip. So the thing you need to know before, uh, starting this routine is you have to recognize there's a difference between building strength and testing strength. So a lot of people you see always maxing out and sub maxing out and putting as much weight there. They're not building strength doing that all the time um, unless they're like Dan Green and they know exactly what the fuck they're doing. Most people who are just slapping as much weight on the bar all the time don't know what the fuck they're doing. And they're not building strength. They're just either wrecking their body or they're just wasting their time. So I realized that I could build my strength not by going up in weight all the time but staying in a certain range where that's conducive. So I found that if I train the deadlift with the double overhand grip, which is taking the mixed grip out of the equation, giving that bicep a, a rest on the one side, and it's test, it's really training my grip. So first of all, I'm doing a double overhand grip, no hook. I'm picking a weight that's 70% of my uh, everyday max, not my 
whenever you make a program, you never make, you never pick your percentages of what the weight you're lifting for your sets based on your all time best. You pick it on your everyday max, just like a weight that you could probably max out on sometime in the next few days. Okay. So I would pick that weight, uh, 70% of, uh, that max and I would, uh, hold the weight that way. And I would, uh, work on the, uh, concentric portion of the lift because I found that the decentric portion didn't really build up my deadlift very much. Now, uh, eccentric movements can build mass, but in this ex- instance, I was finding that the, not only did, uh, just kind of dropping the weight at the top and falling with it, um, it was building my lift up, but at the same time, I could deadlift more and work on the explosivity of it. I could come back the next few days and do that again. So I was able to deadlift three or four days a week if I wasn't, you know, trying to not drop the weight on the ground. If I was trying to control it, you know, it's a little different. So, I mean, there's a lot of details to it, and I'm pretty sure you guys can put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, um, so, so the main thing is kind uh, of you're able to accumulate more volume by avoiding grinding and by um, trying to minimize the eccentric portion of the lift as much as you can. Exactly. Yeah. So you're not grinding, you're minimizing the eccentric portion of the lift. Um, and if you, if you do a double overhand grip instead of the mix, it does cap out the weight you can do. So it even reduces it a little bit more. So you're, you're training your strength. You're training the lift. It's for quality. The whole purpose of the, uh, the program is to train the lift to make you better at that weight. See, so most people are think they're going to get better at a lift just by increasing the weight. Well, you can get better at a certain weight of a, of a lift and you can't just keep wrapping out a weight that you can't always do, but you pick the right weight and you can get better at that weight. It's the whole thing with tricking, you know, acrobatic culture is okay. If I write down on paper, I did 10, five forty kicks or 10 backflips. Well, what the hell did they look like? You know what I mean? I could feel myself and I could see myself getting better at these, at these tricks, at these flips, but people don't do that for weightlifting. So the program in part was, Hey, if I actually film myself doing this, is my lift actually looking cleaner, meaner, more explosive, stronger, uh, just more raw? Just does it look better? So part of it is just like, you got to make the lift better. So do it at this weight in this way and work on doing it better. Practice the lift, you know, practice it. It's just, Practice. I love that word, dude. Practice. It's like, it's like get better at it as you do it instead of just like it's not some magic shit you write on paper and then one day you wake up and you're at a powerlifting meet <laughs> achieving your goal. It's like fucking practice it. Get better at it. Developing strength is, this... is a skill, I suppose. And it, it's, yeah. it's, it's got a kind of aesthetic component to it as well, I guess, when, you, when you're trying to – you're aiming for a beautiful lift rather than a, a kind of disgusting hunchback sort of grindy uh, hitched deadlift. So do you, do you approach your other compound lifts in the same way? You know, the deadlifting routine works for the deadlift. Now, there's a lot of nuances in it that, you know, you know, double overhand grip doesn't really matter with squats. There's other things there. But, I mean, similarly, I mean, yeah, a very similar pattern to those other lifts would be ideal. It's just it's a very all-encompassing type of, of training where it's just like – what I mean is I, I don't think I could train all my lifts in that way. So – but if I did, it would definitely work. You know what I mean? So what about assistance movements as well? Because I know that um, you'd obviously need to take a, a different approach for the more hypertrophy-focused stuff. Uh, assistance movements for the uh, for the lifts? Yeah, so when you're doing your, your isolation stuff or your, um, your, kind of, yeah, your assistance movements, how would you approach them? I would do them in a way where, well, it depends on my goal. I mean, let's just say that 
my goal is a bigger deadlift. Okay. Now, most of the time these days, I'm doing assistance lifts for my tricks. So um, that's usually what I'm. That is what I'm doing now. That's what I usually use them for. But um, if I was going to use assistance uh, movements for the uh, power lifts, you know, honestly, I, w- I would be a little bit more relaxed about it. A lot of people are. You know, you identify your weakness in the lift, first of all. It's like, okay, if most people are weak off the floor, not in the lockout, and a lot of people are doing exercises that are going to improve their lockout, fucking why are you doing that? It's like yeah. rack pulls with plates to the end isn't going to help your goddamn deadlift. Sorry, can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah, go for yeah. it. It's, it's, it's fucking it's way too fucking late. So so they load up all this fucking shit on the bar, and, 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 they're, and they're trying to improve their – it's like you don't have a problem at the top of the lift. Your problem is you can't break it off the floor past a certain weight. So why don't you pick assistance exercises that help you break it off the floor? The best assistance exercise for breaking a, a deadlift off the floor is to stop doing touch-and-go deadlifts and just do stop-and-go deadlifts. You know, that's not an assistance exercise. That's just a different way of doing it, you know? It's like if you're, if you're doing the, – the first rep is all that matters if you're breaking it off the floor. So first of all, change the way you deadlift by doing stop-and-go. Now, if you want to pick exercises that accentuate that, then you just work backwards. It's like I could stick plates underneath the bar. So, you know, I'm lower to the ground. I can do a snatch grip, which is going to bring me lower to the ground and really accentuate that. And then, you know, programming for that, in my opinion, look, you can you can go look up other guys' programs and stuff on how to do this exact number of reps and sets. But a lot of it is just like just do some of it. Just do some of it. Just just add some of it in for fun and just, you know, work hard on it and have fun and then just a little bit, you know. It's kind of like adding spice to a recipe. It's just like don't have to – I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> no, that, that, that's, I mean just, that, that is pretty intuitive that you, you're picking the sort of the weak part of, of a movement and focusing on that rather than just doing the standard like, oh, I want to improve my deadlift so I'm going to do rack pulls, ignoring the fact that I'm weak off the floor and not in a lockout, for example. <laughs> So do you not do yeah. um, typical bodybuilding assistance work as well, the kind of isolations or bringing up weak body parts? Oh, no, absolutely. I do that for bodybuilding work. Bodybuilding methodology is different from strength training methodology. Um, yeah, I do a lot of isolation movements if I'm trying to grow a muscle. Um, I've, I've noticed that, I mean, I have to do it for my arms. It's the only way I ever got my arms to grow was to start doing curls, tricep pushdowns, higher volume, training for a pump, you know, not looking at the weight so much, but training for the mind muscle connection and how I look and feel, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's not assistance work so much as I'd, I'd categorize it as that's bodybuilding methodology training. And that's the type of training I'm using to grow, you know? It sounds like across the board, your fo- your focus is more on lighter load, high, higher volume, especially as you mentioned with the deadlift routine. Like if you're doing like 70% of an everyday max, you're probably closer to 65 or 60%. Do you find, is the way that you're progressing with something like that, and also you mentioned with training for the pump, like are you just trying to progress in terms of doing more volume over time rather than consistently increasing the weight every week? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, for the deadlifting routine, what happens is, uh, is you, if you're following the routine, you do it, and then you test your max, again, after a, a small deload. And then if it goes up, great. Then you change the percentages, and now you're lifting with a different weight than you did for the past few weeks. If it doesn't, then what I recommend people do is instead of going, oh, the program sucks, it doesn't work, look at your fucking life. Like are you sleeping enough? Are you eating enough? Are you doing everything you can to recover and train? You know, It, it kind of goes back to the no season thing again. It's like is your life in order? Is everything really in a, in a conducive state for you to actually adapt to this and everything else that involves training? Is it this lift or is it – 
you know, your body adapting to training as a whole. So, I mean, a lot of times people look at something and be like, you know, this isn't working. It's like, no, that's working. Everything else in your life isn't working. And, you know, <laughs> that's kind of, it's like almost anything works. <laughs> almost, that's, a th- that's a fun thing about training, though, honestly. Almost anything works as, as everything else is working, in my opinion. It's the same as, I suppose, with what you're saying about someone doing rack pulls to improve their deadlift they're kind of like misdiagnosing the problem when you know if you're not not sleeping enough not eating enough but you think the reason that you're not progressing is because your program's wrong this kind of right so yeah yeah i was going to mention that and then we started talking about something else it's like uh you might go oh i need to diagnose my deadlift it's not improving so i'm going to hey i'm weak off the floor so i'm going to start doing more uh lifts from the floor you know and they start doing this and all of a sudden it's just like just like what you just said, man, it's, it could be you're misdiagnosing the problem. It has nothing to do with the lift or your training. It has everything to do with something that's not allowing your body to recover or adapt, or you haven't given it enough time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Something a lot more fundamental. So we had a reader question of, um, does he find that there is a difference between people that he interacts with online and when meeting them in person and how does he find it? Oh no, that's a separate question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's the same guy, but he's done it as like a run-on the sentence. Words, it's, it's like, yeah, it's a paragraph with multiple questions in. <laughs> okay, let's, so, let's start with the first bit. Do you find there is a difference between meeting people online and then when you meet them in person? Uh, sometimes, not very often, but it does definitely happen. Um, especially uh, a long time ago when I ran the community Trick Tutorials uh, forum, we would occasionally, this is back before social media, so this is you know, time period where I, as I noticed most of these instances, you know, we, we'd all be on these forums together and we'd plan a meetup here in Toronto or some different place at a certain time of year. And we'd all get together and do our thing trick and have fun together, uh, work out really hard at this like gathering type of event. And I've noticed some of these people from the internet that were on my forum, like a lot of them are just like they were online. I would say most people are very similar to the way they are uh, online in real life, but other ones, man, it's just like, all right, so this guy is a fucking troll mm. <laughs> on on the internet forums, and he's always being sarcastic and witty and pestering people. And hell, he's going to show up to this thing and trick with us because he's a trickster, but he's a complete asshole online. And then you get there, and it's the most underwhelming experience yeah. ever, dude. It's <laughs> like you expect this guy to be funny and sarcastic and, and kind of smarmy, and he's just quiet. He just doesn't say anything. He's just like, and he laughs at everything everyone else says in like an agreeable way. Like, hey, hey, hey like I'm okay with you guys. You know, it's just like, what the fuck, dude? It's like, it's like, <laughs> we have so seen that if you get time. behind the internet wall, you're like, if you get behind that wall, the internet, you're a complete dickwad, you know, and we like, we actually like you for it. But it's just like, yeah, the thing I found is that trolls on the internet in real life are completely different. Like they don't. But everyone else that's really good natured and fun or, you know, have a certain likable personality trait that makes you actually want to meet them. They're exactly like the way, way they are in real life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we've seen that pattern a couple of times as well, where you'll see someone with this sort of big dick swinging personality <laughs> online and then you meet them and they're just really meek and uh, yeah, agreeable. Or, or, you know, they're just they're pretty shy and you're thinking, OK, like obviously the, the confidence people get behind a keyboard is uh mm-hmm. it's pretty ridiculous this isn't a reader question but it's kind of related to online presence and it like obviously your online presence is very like it's not very serious if i can say that um <laughs> yeah <laughs> have you do you find that that 
that ever like polarizes people? Like, do you get negative attention for the stuff that you do ever? Oh, no, no, I don't think so. Um, no, most, uh, my fan base is awesome. Um, for the most part, I can't, I think, uh, in general, like if we, if we took the number of followers I have and the number of fans and subscribers and the people that are interested in what I do and you found someone else in the fitness industry who had a similar quantitative ranking, real, real quantitative ranking, not just like, you know, honestly, I feel very blessed. I, I feel, yeah, I feel like my, I feel like the quality of my fans is greater. They're just so fucking cool, dude. They're, they, they're really nice and positive. And I don't know. I think I attract. Uh, I guess I attract the people I want to attract to me. I guess for the so most part. So my theory is that um, because you don't take yourself very seriously and you, you're able to make fun of yourself, like it makes you bulletproof against people that try and take the mick. Because um, <laughs> do you use that term, take the mick? Uh, no, we don't actually. <laughs> take, take the mick. Take the piss. Take the piss. Surely that's take the uh... yeah. Take the piss. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I know that one. I never heard of take the mick. <laughs> that's a new phrase for you. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, it's sort of like beating them to the punch. If I can, if I can uh, point out my flaw in the most hilarious way possible, then what mm. what can they do to me? <laughs> I've already beat them. <laughs> do you do you find that? like as as you've been growing your social media presence that doing like the more ridiculous stuff you do the the more fo- the more you're following increased is it that that kind of relationship oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean you got to think about what's shareable and relatable to people to a certain extent i mean there's there's certain keywords to think about whenever you're making something that's going to help you grow is the relatable is a very big thing so you know i can do something that's uh, crazy hilarious and fun that has to do with tricking and yeah, people are like, wow, this is, this is, I like his attitude, his personality and everything that's going with this. And it makes me happy to watch this. But then if I did something with deadlifting, which is for some reason, everyone has the biggest heart on in the world. When it has to do with deadlifting. <laughs> just, everyone's fucking obsessed with that lift. And it's just like so sexually excited. Everyone's just, they love that lift for some reason. It's just, okay. Deadlifting is like the thing. It's like the most popular lift. So I could do a skit. It's just sort of lukewarm, funny with a deadlift, and the entire world stops and explodes. It's just like great, that was easy. Just I could do anything with a deadlift, and everyone fucking loves it. I, d- eating popsicles while deadlifting, uh, um, deadlifting on a roof, deadlifting on fire, deadlifting—just anything <laughs> that has to do with deadlifting works. So first of all, you look for the things that work. Okay, like deadlifting works, setting things on fire works, screaming works, making fun of yourself works. Okay, everything—it's just entertainment. People just—and then they want to share it. It's like this is kind of fucking crazy, and we can all relate to it because it has to do with deadlifting and setting things on fire so <laughs> then people that's will share it with their friends yeah and then it goes viral so that's how that's how it grows is you know these are things that people want to share with other people and then it gets a word gets around and then it gets reposted on weird websites and on facebook and stuff and then boom you know you wake up the next morning you have twenty thousand more followers <laughs> because you did a bench because you bench press in your underwear in a band web you know it's very like obviously with with being online ourselves we know like how hard it is sometimes to to grow a following online and it's interesting to see how people do it in the fitness industry like everyone has their own way and i suppose your way is is pretty unique to you so i just want i just wanted to ask you about it because it's it's very difficult to imitate i suppose as well Um, because he's just being he's just being himself so because that's the other thing (laughs) you're saying you don't get much negative attention like when you attract the right people like i think you you seem to be just letting the like the truest purest version of yourself <laughs> exists on social media and that's going to attract people who are like you i guess 
rather than people who are like what you're trying to be like, which is probably not what you want. So other people that like to do the vacuum, the vacuum cleaning with with the <laughs> weights hanging off the crotch, or yeah. exactly. So we had another reader ask. That, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't even remember. It. But thanks, guys. It makes me feel good that you know you. <laughs> well, I think give also... me a pat on the back there. A lot of people will say. A lot of people will say, "Oh, he's just being an attention whore." But you know, no, it's just I'm having fun and, and, and being creative and just you know. And at the same time, I'm de- I'm making fun of myself. So you know, well, just I think enjoy you, it. You know, it's yeah. Like, and you've, you've got to play the game. And I think being being silly on the front end of the of the social media is great and then also like obviously the blog is is quite well thought through stuff and a lot of evidence-based material on there so it's a, it's a pretty good combination and also like everybody on social media is being an attention whore well like, yeah that's, like, the that's, that's the point of social so, media isn't it like it might as well, <laughs> might as well be entertaining and value adding and like if you're deadlifting and selling something on fire like i'd far rather watch that than like what somebody have for breakfast that's that's yeah. how i view it anyway Yusuf has a second question. For well, it is a, this is another reader question, um, and you kind of answered it a little bit before with C.T. Fletcher, but um, how do you find it different training at home compared to um, the people that you, you have to go and meet in the, the movement community they've put in, uh, in inverted commas? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I, I, I kind of... I, I want to answer the. I kind of want to ask and answer the question that's behind the question. So the question is, how do I find it different training at home versus with other people, you know, who do what I do, you know. So the thing is that are you? I wonder if this person who's asking this is wondering whether one way is better than the other. And the answer is, you need to do both. So if I just trained at home all the time, I wouldn't be what I am. And if I was always just training with other people, whether it's the best in the world or not. Um, there's sort of an adaptive response even to that. You could, you could watch if you have an eye for it and you pay attention long enough, you can watch certain, uh, fitness celebrities train with other fitness celebrities so long that it actually gets boring after a while. And you notice that nothing is happening and you can kind of see in a way where it's like, I've experienced it myself. And it's like, I can see how you can become sort of immune to this really nice, uh, experience of being able to train with other people who are in the best in the world, you get used to it. So you get used to anything. So you have to do both. The difference is, um, you know, just at what you're getting between the two. So at home, I have the privacy of um, going at my own pace, doing boring shit that necessarily isn't going to be posted online if I have to do it, like ankle exercises or certain stretches that are just not shareable. It's just not something I'm going to post online because it's just work I have to do to build the body. It's, But, you know, if I'm with other people and there's a lot of hype, it's like you skip that shit and you're just going to straight to like the hardest, heaviest, craziest shit in the world, you know? And then if that's all you're doing, <laughs> you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah, that makes you're, sense. You're going to stall. If, if you're so doing you a... have to have both. Yeah, if you're doing a set of face pulls, it's not going to go viral. So you've got to. Uh, well, you never know. To, well, yeah, maybe if you do them on fire or something. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of my. I mean, I'm only going to post stuff I think people actually care about. I don't really mm. like face pulls. Yeah, it's a great exercise. <laughs> I I should probably do more of them. I do a lot of other ones. I need ankle exercises, uh, certain boring knee exercises, some you know maybe a little bit of voodoo floss here and there with the elbows. All you know. That's not shit I'm going to post online, but I have to do it. And, you know, if I'm hanging out with C.T. Fletcher, I'm not going to be sitting there rolling around on a lacrosse ball. You know what I mean? I'm going to be doing 200 rep sets of arms or something. And 
it's the same. I mean, it's not just for the body either. It's for the mind. You got to take yourself out of your comfort zone. If all you do is train at home and your hometown gym, you're holding yourself back. You got to schedule it every month. Like I'm going to go fly to this expo and work out with these, these superstars. I'm going to, I'm going to fly over here and work out with these guys. I'm going to schedule five of my friends to come to my house and work out. And we're all going to max out at at 10 o'clock at night and eat burgers. You know, you just gotta, you gotta go out of your way to schedule special training events. But at the same time, that can't be all it's about. You gotta, you gotta put in the boring stuff too, day in and day out. You gotta do both. It seems like there's an emerging theme of riding the wave with, with the demands of what happens. And exactly as you said, you know, if if you're flying over to go visit CT Fletcher and you spend the whole time voodoo flossing, (laughs) then you've, you've wasted your time. It'd be and funny to see his reaction, though. He'd, it, I think he'd be quite irate about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think anybody on his planet is going to do that, but, you know, it's just... <laughs> what's what's it like in sorry, training with, with C.T. Fletcher? What's it like? Mm. Uh, it's painful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking painful. Uh, people ask me, what's the hardest workout you ever did? It was like 45 minutes of arms with C.T. Fletcher. Like, 45 wait, 45-minute arm workout is the hardest workout you ever did? I was like, yeah, because I distinctly remember not being able to pick up a piece of paper off the floor because I couldn't actually touch my finger to my thumb to close it. <laughs> That's, That's how hilarious. fucking gone my grip was. And then at the end of the workout, it's still your motherfucking set. Yeah, uh, it was it was too much, man. It was, <laughs> but it, it sort of it sort of does change. I mean, those are good uh, workouts to change your barometer, though. For how much is a lot, though. Everyone needs that experience. So it's like, fuck, I just did two hundred uh, reps of tricep pushdown superset with two hundred reps of biceps. Now, next time I go work out, that twenty rep set is not going to be as like some ungodly amount. It's just be like, it's a 20 rep set. <laughs> That's a good point. I think like a shift in your training environment sort of resets your, your set points and your expectations for a session. Then you can then push yourself a bit further. So mm-hmm. on, on the note of um, voodoo flossing and lacrosse ball and so on, I've had another question about injury prevention and from experience as well, I'm, I'm, I'm quite into gymnastics and tricking and have always found that as I get heavier, I mean, I've never been, is it 235 pounds? I've, uh, the heaviest I've been is kind of two, 200 pounds ish, but even then I find it does start to take toll on my joints. I get more shin splints and, um, sort of niggly issues. How do you avoid, or how, what, what do you do to prevent injury, especially as you get heavier? And, um, I imagine the stress on your joints is certainly going up. Well, I can't prevent the stress, uh, pain, um, small little twinges and aches in here and there. I can't prevent that stuff. It just, it's just going to happen now in terms of like real, what I'm talking about is like in real, in terms of real injuries, like I, I sprained my ankle, I tore my ACL, I slipped a disc. I don't injure myself anymore. I haven't injured myself in years. Um, Typically, um, you'll, you're going to get warning signs before things like that happen. And with enough experience, you sort of understand the proper progression. You sort of understand where your body is. If it's certain, starting to feel a certain way, there's all sorts of warning signs. Um, and you just got to recognize them. And so I'm not going to hurt myself anymore. I mean, it's really just about um, understanding how much is too much. Uh, when not to push it and uh, just a certain allowance of, of corrective exercises you just have to maintain on, on a daily basis. You have to 
it's a move every day. You have to, you know, the, you have to understand that this exercise is good for you, like a, a warrior lunge, Cossack stretch, you know, basic squat, you know, uh, things like that. You just got to keep up with them and keep your body in a certain state, but you got to listen to it. Uh, it's becoming passe these days to like, no one wants to hear, listen to your body anymore, but you, I mean, okay. You got to listen to it though. It's not like the gold standard. Sometimes you listen to it and you might go, okay, but it's not important, but you still have to listen to it just because it doesn't mean you have to do what it's telling you, but you still have to really pay attention. And I could tell you like, it, it, as strange as it sounds, I made a decision a few years ago not to injure myself anymore. And I haven't, it's just because I made the decision not to. I'm just like, seriously, let me ask you guys a question. Every injury you've had, all right, think about this for a second. Every injury, you like bad one, like I really fucked up. Did you have warning signs before it? Think about it. Ninety percent of them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think the problem is it's you, you rationalize it, don't you, at the time, and, and think that you can push through whatever it is, or that. I think, oh, my back's a bit twingy, but I'll just I'll just finish I'll, the I'll set, do it or anyway. I'll just yeah. Yeah, it's it's that ob it's maintaining that objectivity, I suppose, when it's you you managing yourself and not trying to let biased thoughts creep in and take you a direction that's ultimately going to end up with you not being able to train or injuring yourself. But that's, that's impressive that you've just decided one day, like, nope, I've had enough. <laughs> so basically you're saying like, um, stay, stay on top of the warning signs and catch them early on and, and just don't be a dick with training. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, now I'm interested. You said 90%. I want to say, I want you guys to answer like, when were the times that you hurt yourself that you had no warning signs? So the, the one that had no warning for me was was just doing gymnastics. It was uh, just by I, I I don't know whether there was like a structural structural predisposition to it or what, but it was actually it was it was doing a, a B kick like not even a fancy move. What's, yeah, what's a B kick for everybody listening? It's you you're basically prancing around. It's not even a prancing round. <laughs> you're you're hopping from one foot to another essentially, but I just managed to wreck my back from from that, and I've had years of neuropathic pain since then oh but, wow but uh i think that's probably the exception to the rule everything since then there has always been it's usually been deadlifting and there has been a warning sign which i've ignored so yeah i think you're right but that's not to say that you haven't like hurt yourself or gotten like a twinge or a, or a minor ache and pain but i'm like but in terms of major injuries like you fucked up like and now you're gonna have to be out for three or four months you would agree that for the most part 90 percent of the time you had warning signs right yeah yeah, I think um, the warning sign yeah. would either be a, a local thing or it's a systemic one about, you know, um, improper programming or you know that you're not recovering from your training or, or any of the other things that you mentioned earlier. You know, you're not sleeping enough or there's other stresses going on in your life and you're trying mm -hmm. to dig too deep into your recovery capacity. I think for me, it's always like set number two. There's a bit of a niggle. And I think, uh, I'll just, I've only got one set left. I'll do it anyway, do it. And then before I know it, that's it. Like my knee really hurts or I yeah. tear my hamstring or like some, you know, I think even if it's a, a slight psychological factor of like that maybe doesn't feel a hundred percent, I think you guard it subconsciously or you move a little bit differently. And when you're doing that with load on your back or load in your hands, that's when something tends to go, at least in my experience. So. I think you're, you're definitely right. Like there's, there's always a, a warning sign. We just, oftentimes people choose to not listen because it means giving up, you know, not training for the rest of the day or, um, you know, modifying your program. I like how you just said there's a, there's a psychological, uh, even if there's like a psychological component only to it as well. I agree a hundred percent. I like that you said that it's because 
you know, I want people to also think about here for a second. When was the last time you, you PR'd on a lift and you had doubt the entire time moving up to your max weight? Usually when you're going to PR on a lift, it's almost like you know it when you start warming up. You're like, whoa, I'm going to PR today. Just about every fucking PR I've ever pulled was was – was on a day where I where I started with just the bar and two plates on each side. I was like, oh my God, I'm so strong. I'm gonna PR today. It just you just know it. But on those days where you're just like, I feel really like I don't feel it. I, I'm a little concerned. I don't know if I can do it. It usually doesn't happen. And a lot of times people will go through so many workouts where they feel that doubt, where they don't feel that just like they don't get that get that 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 boost where it's just like they just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just I'm just going to go for it. And that's when they hurt themselves. Is it they they it's just like you have to be patient 8 times until that ninth time sometimes to to allow yourself to push it to that point. But a lot of people after a while are just like, "No, I can't take this anymore. I am just being a wuss." You're not being a wuss. You're just listening to the warning sign there, you know? It's just like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If it's not, it's probably not. So just <laughs> why isn't it you got to look at why isn't it why why are these 8 times feeling this way, you know? It's it's not you being a wuss. It's there's something else going on. You got to diagnose. So. And I, I, don't I know. think it's it's part of that no pain no gain beast mode dogmatism online that causes people to ignore those signs as well. So so apart from that, watching out for the warning signs, do you keep on top of like soft tissue work alongside your stretching? Not not too much. I, I find for the most part, uh, the most therapeutic thing you can do is full range of motion movements. I mean, uh, a lot of times the soft tissue work is just a to put you back in a state where you can actually execute the pattern correctly again, because there's something holding you back. But if the patterns themselves are clean in terms of the movement, then those are the most therapeutic things you can do. And so in terms of soft tissue work, I mean, the story is probably going to change as I get older, but I'm 31, you know, going on 32 pretty soon. And I, I do almost none of that stuff, to be honest. I mean, um, I do like to roll the bottoms of my feet and, you know, a little bit of calf work here and there, but you know, I should probably do a little bit more on my wrist, but I, I honestly think people overdo that shit. I mean, to a certain extent, that's a training stress too. And the more you do with that, the more it's going to hold back your recovery capacity because your body does have to recover to you sticking, jabbing it with a ball and a stick. All the time, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. And there, there are um, definitely some people that will sit in foam roll for 45 minutes before they, um, yeah. and you know, I, we spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago who was just saying that the neural potentiation that you, you get from foam rolling only lasts five to 15 minutes. So really, if you're foam rolling 45 minutes, you, you've wasted your time unless you enjoy doing it as a hobby. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) which if you do, we're not going to judge, you know, like everyone's welcome. Nobody does. (laughs) It's painful. I don't know. That was a good one. Yeah. It's a hobby of mine. It's my favorite thing. (laughs) Well, um, so you said like you're, you're 31 now and, um, I've, you wrote somewhere that a few years ago you wouldn't have spent as much time warming up and, and now, um, I think both from age and, and being bigger, you've got to spend more time doing a dedicated warm-up especially for for tricking i've certainly found that myself as well do you um do you now sort of cut cut out some time to to do your warm-up for any session no no not at all i i mean every time i i I warm up as long as i need that's basically it like some some days for example some lifts are so simple and so easy and i'm so well rested that the warm-up is almost it does it's really not even really there i mean for example like if I'm feeling good for bench pressing and I haven't done it in a while, my muscles are recovered. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll be like, okay, 
Another plate, okay. Another plate, okay. Another plate, okay. All right, I'm almost there. All right, maybe I'll just uh, take a little extra rest. Okay, I'm good. You know, it doesn't take as long, but that's because my body's telling me it's okay. It feels great, you know. Other times, it's just like, uh, for example, tricking. It takes me forever to warm up for, man. I mean, God, it takes me so long to warm up for that. Now, sometimes if I'm feeling really good, I'm throwing tricks within 15, 20 minutes. But usually it's about 30 to 35 minutes before I'm actually like starting to throw things. I just take as long as it needs. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, using the time it takes to warm up is sort of a gauge on how far I should push the workout. You know, if it's taking me forever to warm up, I probably shouldn't be expecting to do throw top end moves for that day. I should probably just work on volume of some simpler stuff. But if I but if I'm like jumping right into it, if my body's going right into it, then I'll be able to be like, you know, just go with the flow, man. So that's another example of listening to your body, as you were saying, which is mm-hmm. like again, especially like I, I compete in powerlifting, and the the powerlifting community is huge on like having a set warm up that you do every time. And I definitely experienced session to session. Like you, Sundays you come in and you're just like, this is going to take me 20, 30 minutes till I can squat to parallel. Maybe I should like rein my training in today. And then you have some days where you could do like five, five minutes of dynamic movement and you're ready to train. And I think noticing mm-hmm. the differences, as you said, like using the warm up is almost a, like, how am I feeling today? How am I doing today? And then adjusting your workout as, as appropriate is a great chance to, like formalize that listening to your body idea. It's also a great way to, to get yourself to work out when you don't want to initially. Um, the trainer, Eric Cressy, he used to write a lot on T nation and now he's transitioned to mainly working with baseball players. But he wrote one time that, uh, what you should do is if you don't feel like work working out, at least warm up. And if you want to stop after that, then you're okay. You know, but you can't really judge whether you should train that day uh, until after you warm up, yeah. it's, it's sort of like, because you know, there's a lot of inertia on the couch and in the computer chair, man, when you wake up in the morning and you're, and you're doing like intellectual type work where you're just on your butt, you can build up some bad inertia, you know, and the only way to break out of it is to warm up. And until you do that, you can't really judge whether you're in a state to work out for the day for a good workout. I've had some of my best workouts after I've warmed up. It's just like, I felt like crap before I did, I'd get into it and I'd be like, Oh man, I feel awesome. You know? I just wrote a post yesterday about that exact thing that like the bare minimum you can do to ensure like progression and success is just have like days in the week that you train and just on those days go to the gym and do like do your warm up do something and you can never predict the days where as you say like you'll go in and today's a fantastic session even though you felt terrible all day and then the days where you think it's going to be fantastic and, it, and nothing works so just the least you can do for yourself is is warm up as you say. So we wanted to ask you, like, as a, again, I think in fitness and especially people who are in fitness and have a following, they tend to specialize in something. So like there's the physique, physique competitor guys, bodybuilders, powerlifters, the movement culture or movement community. But you seem to be like almost like a jack of all trades in that you're, you take lifting pretty seriously. You seem to be taking your bodybuilding pretty seriously and tricking and flexibility as well. What inspired you to, 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 to diversify rather than specialize? It sort of happened. It, it wasn't a decision. Um, the thing is that most people, when they go through their training career, if they made any big transitions, they leave the old thing behind. That's what most people end up doing. So most people in my situation probably would have went from martial arts to tricking to weightlifting to bodybuilding, and they might be weightlifting and bodybuilding near the end, but they probably gave up the 
the kids stuff long ago, like, ah, flips and stuff is for tricks are for kids. You know, it's a serial. Um, but me, I was like, uh, no, I like this. I still like this. I, I want to keep doing it. Oh, I like this too. Oh, you know, and I like it all, man. I just, I love it. And, uh, I just ended up being a guy that was pretty proficient in things that really didn't go well together. And honestly, it served me really well because, um, people can look at different ways to, uh, to really succeed at certain things. And you can either one be the best at one thing, you know, which is, which is really hard because that means, you know, it's like, what you're going to write, uh, you know, you're going to be like number one bodybuilder. You're going to be like, uh, are you gonna write the best book ever, you know, or you can be like, you know, in the top percentages of a certain number of things. And that's sort of what I did. It's like, I'm not the best, you know, power lifter by any means. I'm not the best trickster by any means. I'm not the best uh, guy for flexibility, you know, but if you take the best guy who's, if you take a guy <laughs> who can do the tricks I can do, he's not going to look like me. If you take a guy that can lift like me, he's not going to build the tricks I can do. So it's sort of like, I got you somewhere around here. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, think I, 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 I got you somewhere around here, man. And it's the mix. It makes it rare and it's unique, man. It's just different. What I, I think what I quite like about it is the, how like there'll be people who've trained their whole life to get to a level of strength, but like won't look like you. And even if they do look like you, then they won't be, they won't be as mobile as you. And even if they are, they won't be able to trick like you. And so you're kind of, you're like covering all bases as it were, which I think is a, like a cool way to develop yourself as an all round, like athlete or lifter as well. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. And there's a, there's a great synergy as well from, um, from what comes from, you know the, the the some of the parts come come out to some more more exciting overlaps, and I suppose you get that with with ideas as well. When people say you should always be reading three or four books at a time, so that the ideas can kind of have sex with each other, and you generate new huh. ideas as well. Cool. So speaking of ideas, how can we find out more about you from your blog? Okay. Well, um, check out my Instagram, of course, if you haven't done that. It's slash jujimufu j u j i. MUFU, and you can see some entertaining and quite a range of athletic things there that we've been talking about in this post. You'll see flips and lifts and, and physique and, and just crazy shit. And then uh, check out my YouTube at slash Jujimufu as well. And for my website, that's acrobolics.com. That's my branding. And uh, you just go there, and I have my writings and my web shop, and you can buy my ebook on flexibility, all sorts of stuff. So if you just check out those three places, I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> Juji Mufu, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Do you have any closing comments for our readers? Oh, no. Uh, uh, but I do want to thank you guys both. This is I, I could tell that you guys really uh, read some of the things that I wrote. I always appreciate it when people read the things I write more than just watch the videos I put out because it's a much, in my opinion – if someone reads something that I've written, it's a much more intensive time investment on their part. It's more patient activity. And I really appreciate the fact that you guys uh, read some of these things I've written before we started this podcast. Oh, I, I, I mean, when I write about something, man, I'm passionate about it. It's just that's things that are very close to my heart. So I very much appreciate that you wanted to discuss some of these things, some of my ideas. It makes me really happy just, just to talk about these things. Certainly the more interesting stuff, and I'm, I'm glad we got to cover quite a bit of ground as well. Cool. Awesome. All right, Juju Mufu, we will speak to you soon. Okay. Thank See you, guys. You.